the Brexit Breakdown podcast from the UK in a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown podcast. I'm James Miller, author, journalist, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. And I also want to find out more about the election that's coming on December the 12th. And I want to find out more about the interplay between Brexit and the election. So I turned to two of the UK and a changing Europe's top experts to help me this week. Sir John Curtis, the election knight himself, gearing up for another star turn on election night, no doubt. And Jill Rutter, formerly a top bod at the Treasury and with the Institute for Government, now, like John, a senior fellow at UK Interchanging Europe. Uh, one other thing I want to find out more about is uh, recording equipment. I think this was the 50th Brexit Breakdown podcast, but it was also the first time our recording device failed. So unfortunately, I lost half our conversation. Consequently, if this chat sounds a little unbalanced, it's because we kind of covered off the Tory position, uh, which is basically... If they win a majority, then Brexit is on. And if they don't win a majority, then forming an administration will be very difficult because there's no obvious partners. And John repeated his well-reported line that it's very, very unlikely Labour will win a majority. So we pick up the discussion ultimately with the, well, ultimately with the man on the Clapham omnibus. Uh, I'll be back at the end with competition and contact details. Here we go. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to a man on the bus this morning, you know, can't get any more down with people than that. Uh, And saying that it's hard to see what's going to happen in this election. It's actually hard to see how hard to see it's going to be. In the sense that there are polls that are very clear that the Tories have got a clear lead. And yet, obviously, polls have weren't entirely... Well, you know, John will tell me the polls are fantastic. But the, 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 the narrative is that the polls didn't do so well in 2017, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it certainly feels like a lot of the coverage is backing off from putting too much store by polls alone, mm, which right. I think is a healthy, right too. A healthy development, right, absolutely. Sure. But it feels like a different election that it is so hard to see what is coming down the track. Is that fair to say, or is, are they always this? this no, I, I I just disagree with you. I think I, I think the point is that actually, on the central issue of this election and the issue that's precipitated it, we have ended up with a very clear binary choice. Everybody has ended up being either pro leave or pro or pro second referendum, and that's just now a very simple, stark choice. And that is the thing that you know there's a 95% chance is going to be settled in one direction or the other and to that you know the, in, in a sense the path on Brexit has never been clearer right because we now have finally have two reasonably well paved paths without too many potholes in them and we, we still have to choose which one we're going to go down but it does seem to be a reasonable probability that we will get all the way to the end whichever path we decide to choose okay that's helpful but in terms of actually the outcome does that bifurcation uh, help us see the outcome clear, more clearly? I mean, you know, you well, mentioned I mean, it, it, we all knew it, what was going to happen. It does in the sense that, therefore, I mean, the speculation that one might have about a hung parliament would be very different but for this mm. issue. 
you'd be talking about, well, you know, um, uh, who, who, with whom were the Tories might be able to do a deal or not. Um, it, would it have to be the party that has the largest party that has first go at trying to form an administration, etc., etc.? In a sense, all of that is out of the window. The assumption we're basically make, making, mm. it doesn't matter how many more seats the Labour the Tories have got. If, they've, if, if the combined opposition parties have enough, they, they, they will have the ability to, and will probably form a minority Labour administration. So that makes it much, much easier. Well, for 2015, we spent hours talking about the various possible scenarios of who might do a deal with whom, depending on what, on what particular kind of hand palm it might yeah. get. And of course, we didn't get one at all. Yeah. To that extent, at least a lot of the potential chatter around a hung parliament doesn't exist because it all basic i mean with, with a very small exception a very small range of results it all points in the same direction irrespective of the relative balance of, balance of forces uh, within that hung parliament would you agree jill there's a lot of a lot of clarity around this election then except for the outcome <laughs> well i'm being very tabloid in, in boiling that down but you are yeah being no. quite tabloid. Uh, the really interesting question i think is uh is you know, if you do get a basically say this is sort of binary choice effectively it's a sort of you know to what john's is saying is it's a de facto referendum but acted through sort of political parties and you've got to take that sort of you know that into account with seeing how it plays out and of course because it's all mediated through our electoral system not the system where everybody's vote counts equally which is the one benefit of a referendum is that my vote in uh, you know my constituency counts exactly the same as John's vote up there you know whether my vote matters or not depends on exactly where mm. I live, the nature of the contest, you know, do I vote taxi, do other people vote taxi or whatever. So it's a very odd way of expressing on one question. I think it's a really interesting question, which if I were back in government, I'd be sort of thinking about would be, well, what else is going to happen? I mean, if there is a Conservative administration, it's quite clear that, you know, Conservatives have some policies. But if you have this Labour ah, minority ah. that is basically <laughs> just stitched together for the purpose of going off, doing what Keir Starmer says can be a very quick deal with Europe. I'm not so totally convinced that Labour's, uh, Labour's deal is as easy to negotiate as he thinks it is. And, you know, and I think there is a bit of a phenomenon that people like Michel Barnier probably find it easier to make nice, uh, nice noises at people when they're not coming as the government than when they are coming as the government, where it actually takes on a degree of formality. You know, then you are putting through the legislation on the referendum. You need to do that probably in parallel if you're going to meet that six month window. Uh, colleagues in the Constitution Unit have said it takes about 22 weeks to organise a mm -hmm. decent referendum, assuming you can work out what the question is. But what else does the government do uh, in the interim? Uh, is there sure. any sort of agreed policy platform uh, right. that is happening? We're going to have to have a budget in that time yeah. because otherwise you can't collect income tax anymore, which is a bit inconvenient. Oh. Oh. Um, so there's sort of various things to do, but is this just a standstill government pending that? So basically, we put politics on hold for another six months and just have a sort of care and maintenance government sort of way in which things like the European Union run when they haven't got their budget approved, you just go through and tick over. The way almost Northern Ireland's been been governed for the last uh, <laughs> last three years, you know, where officials take decisions which aren't you know, they think are covered by previous administrations or whatever, and just keep the thing ticking over. Yeah, what happens? I think that's well, really can, interesting because yeah, would you? I mean, I, 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 I would you have a proper government? I think, I think, I think, I mean, I think there is a position in between. I mean, you're, I mean. You're, you're, you're quite right. It, it's a government that's going to find it difficult to do much else other than reverse Brexit or hold a referendum that might reverse Brexit. That's quite a big thing. I, I know, you know, and that, and, that's quite and, a big and, thing. And, and, and that, you know, and given that even the last 
government or the current government has struggled to do much else other than deal with Brexit, you know, you know, so what's new? Um, and it also certainly is potentially a fragile government, though the, I think the fragility would not be on the domestic agenda, it would be on the foreign mm. affairs agenda. Mm. And of course, the thing that would that makes any deeply minority administration problematic is events, dear boy, mm. events. And I think, for example, if there were to be a major foreign affairs crisis mm. that might raise questions about whether or not British troops should be involved, that could cause different disagreements amongst mm. the opposition parties. But that said, actually, when you look at where the parties stand on mm. the domestic agenda, mm. I mean, I think on the budget, look, the SNP are already, incre- mm. already increasing tax in Scotland, <laughs> OK? The Liberal Democrats have gone back mm. to their let's increase a penny on income mm. tax in order to spend more on public mm. services phase as opposed to their let's, let's reduce income tax in order to be nice to people on no incomes phase. I mean, they go in cycles on this mm. and they're back in their expansionary phase. So you can see how the stances of the parties on taxation, I mean, yeah, sure, there'll be arguments about how much you load it on the better office, but broadly speaking, these, are, or these three parties are broadly in the actually perhaps we should increase income tax in order to be able to spend more on spending. And then on some of the other issues, um, look, the SNP is not going mm. to stop the nationalisation mm. of water in England. It's, all, it's always <laughs> been nationalised in Scotland. Yeah. Okay. The interesting question there will be the stance of the Democrats. Mm. Um, the nationalisation of the railways, again, the SNP are having almighty grief over the fr- mm. railway franchise north of the border. One uh, suspects they would say, they're rubbish. Let's, let, 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 let's just yeah. end the franchises yeah. as, they, as they kick in. In any case, a lot of these franchises are being run by nationalised industries mm. of other countries anyway. I mean, the extent to which they're actually run by the private sector yes. is, 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 is highly debatable. So you can see that there are aspects that one could actually see that some of what the Labour Party is talking about, they may well be able to negotiate with um, uh, the other opposition parties. That said, I mean, I think certainly the expectation would be that, you know, once the, I mean, if the referendum is held and we were to vote leave, end of government, it Mm. will just collapse tomorrow. Mm. End of re- end of uh, uh, have a referendum and it says remain and we revoke. Well, even then, having lost its central purpose, one suspects that roughly at around this time next year, we're probably going to have another election. In order then to have an election hey. about what do we, what kind of country do we want now to be now that we're back inside the European Union and we have an election about but domestic public. That's policy. a really interesting question about the referendum, <clears throat> because what we assume is you know, there are different ways of doing it. Would Labour legislate in advance to have left so that if the decision was to leave, that actually that uh, you know okay. just happened, you know, yeah. as happened with the alternative vote referendum yeah. and legislation was on the statute book, yeah. it was a confirmatory referendum, or would they say no, we'll legislate all of that later? Then you have to ask for a very long extension from the EU, uh, which may not be so easy to get. That's a really interesting question. Well, not, Johnson, if we've, not if we've made the decision in principle. If we've made yeah. the decision in principle in June, and we, then we've got to pass the legislation, uh, we, all we've got yeah. to do is revoke. We can revoke straight away. It's we only can, if we're we going can, to carry no, on. No, revoking is easy. Revoking, yeah. is, revoking, is, is, revoking is, is easy. Revoking is easy. Leaving is difficult. Yeah. But then the interesting question is you know, Labour wants to change the political declaration. The political declaration is just a starting point for the future relationship negotiators. It isn't the final word. So there's a really, really interesting question on John's scenario, which is that you do have this referendum. You have a referendum versus, in inverted commas, Labour's deal, uh, which is, as we've discussed, a much softer form of Brexit, you know, some sort of institutional arrangement, you know, European economic area, plus a customs union, something like that. That's what people think it's up against. 
you then really do need that sort of government to cohere afterwards to see that through into the sort of final treaty. If the government then collapses, you had a general election. And then what do you have? (laughs) Maybe that's the sort of time you do get a much leavier government comeback when people just say, well, we wanted to leave. You didn't offer us the right to leave in that referendum. Leave means leave. Brexit means Brexit this time round. Uh, and then there's a really interesting question of, you know, actually, how could you guarantee that you were offering that sort of leave unless you're prepared to be staying government and see it through? But very difficult, you know, or maybe, you know, Jeremy uh, Corbyn's would, above the fray way of doing it. I mean, unless you had a grand coalition, you wouldn't be able to do it. Right, yeah. just on that, right. We were talking about clarity about five minutes ago and then you threw all sorts of new new scenarios into the into the mix. Just on the grand coalition, though, I am a Scotland bore, and you are uh, a professor at the University of Strathclyde. Mm-hmm. The Lib Dems and the SNP can't get in bed together, can they? How do they do that and put the Indy Ref issue to a side? I can't see how the minute Labour says, we'll give you an Indy Ref SNP if you join us, the Lib Dems okay. have to say, we're out, uh, don't I they? Mean, this is, the, 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 I mean, I, I may be wrong, but I think at the end of the day, this is the hard calculation the Lib Democrats will have to make. The Liberal Democrats were instrumental in precipitating this election. Yes. In so doing, they were try they are hoping to get a parliament that will be willing to hold a second referendum because they realise they're not going to get a majority to right. Presumably, therefore, at some point, they are going to accept the price of achieving that. And the price of achieving that is for a while at least, Jeremy Corbyn is Prime Minister, but you're not necessarily expecting him to remain Prime Minister for terribly long. And sure, you're going to have to accept that at some point in time, you're going to be willing to allow the SNP to hold a second independence referendum. But of course, the point about all of this is the sequencing. Mm-hmm. You hold the EU referendum first. If you are a true Liberal Democrat, you believe, of course, you're 100% confident that Remain will win the next time around. And if you do that, then, of course, the material change of circumstance, which is the precondition for the SNP having another independence referendum, has gone out the window. And certainly the circumstances, which at the moment at least seems to have been responsible for something or an increase in support for independence, has certainly been reversed. So, that, And this is the problem for the SNP. The problem for the SNP is the secrecy, yeah. is, is that you know the, the, the EU second referendum comes first and therefore what actually a second Scottish independence referendum actually means depends on the outcome of the first referendum and at some point you're going to have to decide whether whether you're going to take that risk or not okay but assuming given that the aim of the exercise is to try to reverse Brexit um, then presumably if you believe that's what you can achieve then you you're going to willing to to give the SNP I mean it won't be next year as Nicola Sturgeon wants it would probably undoubtedly will be after the oh, 2021 Scottish Parliament election. We wait to see whether there's a majority or not. But, you know, if in the meantime, the UK is still inside the European Union, the whole backdrop against the referendum is completely different. OK, basically, I think well, what we've established is it's very complicated, this election. And the best thing to do is keep checking in on the UK and Changing Europe uh, website for more podcasts explaining what, uh, what the heck is going on. Have you come armed with recommendations for understanding... So my recommendation actually is going to build on yours just then, James, which is UK and Change Europe's just launched its general election centre on the website. Lots of great stuff, including lots and lots of comments from uh, from John here. Uh, but everything you need to understand what is going on in the election. So have that sort of feeding straight onto your desktop every day. 
would you endorse that recommendation, John? Absolutely, yeah, of course, it's ex- exactly a, a place to be, and certainly you want something dispassionate about this. Um, I mean, the other thing, obviously, is, I mean, I think to look out for, I mean, one of the interesting features about this election is the extent to which the broadcasters in particular are taking a bit of a risk and are more inclined to challenge the politicians. And that's most evident in the whole fact-checking exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think certainly if you are interested in an honest, though maybe not always mm. entirely accurate, but an honest attempt to try and say, well, actually, is what the, are what the parties proposing make sense or not? And, you know, what is a reasonable mm. judgment? I mean, that is an interesting development, and I think it's certainly something that's worthy of people's attention. If, you know, if you're interested in the UK and changing your impartial information, well, here's another source of uh, impartial information of a kind that looks as though it's going to be on a scale that we've not seen in the previous elections. So that was John and Jill. Just half a conversation with them is more enlightening and better informed than a whole conversation with almost anyone else. One vital bit that did get lost was when I challenged Sir John Curtis, man who doesn't make predictions, for making a prediction on a radio show the other day. He predicted that this parliament would contain more MPs from parties other than the big two, that's uh, the Conservatives and the Labour Party, than any previous parliament. That would be a figure of uh, around the 90 mark. And he's sticking by that prediction for now. Uh, To win a limited edition Brexit breakdown mug, tell me whose radio show he made that prediction on. I mean, you know, he doesn't make many predictions. So uh, it's pretty special. So fair play to the the, uh, presenter of that radio programme for getting in to make one. Email your answer to ukandeu at kcl.ac.uk or tweet the team at ukandeu or go through their Facebook page or tweet me at Political Yeti. That is the best way to get in touch about anything in this podcast. The music in this podcast has been Requiem for a Fish by the Freak Fandango Orchestra as ever. And this has been the Brexit Breakdown podcast from the UK in a changing Europe, supported by King's College London and funded and supported by the Economic and Social Research Council. Uh, Come back soon for another podcast, hopefully fully recorded. Thank you and goodbye. Hi, Arnand here. Sorry to butt in, but I just wanted to say, if you like this podcast, which I'm sure you do, then please rate it wherever you get your podcasts from. You'll be doing a public service because it makes it easier for others to find us. While you're at it, go to our website, www.ukandeu.ac.uk, and sign up for our fantastic newsletter. Not only the latest on Brexit, but the latest on the best football team in the world. Every two weeks, free, in your inbox. Do it now.